Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Word Processing. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario, and I'm sitting down as always, or as usual, I should say, with Josiah Boyd, one of the other pastors here. Josiah, it's great to see you. Great to see you, too going to be chatting about a sermon that you preached this past Sunday here at Oak Ridge, as we like to do on the podcast, really just dive into God's Word. And as we've talked about in the past, when you're preparing a sermon, inevitably, you have more content than you actually have time for. And sometimes things get left on the cutting room floor, so to speak. And what we love about this podcast is it's been an opportunity for us to discuss some of those maybe side issues or applications or implications about the text or about the sermon that you might not get to on a Sunday morning, or maybe that's not the right venue on a Sunday morning, where we can discuss things a bit further for our listeners and and just for each other even. It helps us to understand these texts a little bit more. Yeah, it's an opportunity to examine some of the bits and pieces that didn't make the cut on Sunday morning, but are still worthy of exploration. We know, and our listeners will know from experience, that the Word of God is inexhaustible. You Mm -hmm. go back to the same text year after year, and you're still finding new things to celebrate and to wrestle with. And so we want to go back and give it a chance to wrestle with those things that didn't make it in on Sunday morning. But then also we wanted to look at applications. So we've been given a charge on Sunday morning. What does that look like Monday through Saturday? How can we play that out? Because we want to be doers of the word and not just hearers like James calls us to be. And so our intention was both of those, I guess, at the same time. This was really birthed out of the fact that as someone who has a little more experience preaching yourself and someone with a little less, myself, we were having conversations like this anyways, is I like to pick your brain and see, okay, why did you make this decision? How did you come to this conclusion? And it's really been an opportunity for both of us, I think, to grow as preachers and as studiers of the word. And why not let other people into that process? Yeah, you make it sound like I'm some sort of authority, and that's not the case. (laughs) Clearly, it's us coming together as brothers in Christ. And in this case, we're widening the scope to include our listeners as well, over the authority, which is the Bible. So Mm -hmm. how can we process the word week to week? How can we unpack it further and further so that it can change us? And we are submitting ourselves to it together and helping one another do that. So let's get into the text. Remind us kind of where we were looking on Sunday. As always, I'll say, listener, if you haven't listened to that sermon, go check it out on our website, oakridgebiblechapel.org. But Josiah, what was the text we were looking at? What are some of the base things we were discussing on Sunday? Yeah, quick recap. We were in Matthew chapter 11. And as I mentioned on Sunday, we are on the doorstep of the big rejection of national Israel in the first century of Jesus the Messiah, of their king. They're going to reject him. And so as we come to chapter 11, we're not there yet, but you can sense the rumbling starting to happen. There's growing opposition. And that's what we found here at the beginning. It's John the Baptist calling out through his disciples. He's in prison, but sending emissaries to Jesus saying, are you the expected one? Uh, Are you the one that we have longed for? Because I'm a little confused. Why am I in prison if you are the king bringing the kingdom? And Jesus sends word back to John saying, listen, give John my resume. He'll know what that means. Tell him what you see and hear. And he lists all of these miracles, which we talked about, really fulfill all messianic expectations from Isaiah, for example. So John would have heard them like, okay, I get it. He is the Messiah. So really, Jesus gave a response that was stronger than a simple yes. It's like, go tell him what you see and hear. I'm doing things that only the expected one can actually do. 
And we use that kind of as a springboard to think about our enjoyment of the Lord sitting atop our expectations of the Lord. And here's how, because in verse six of chapter 11, Jesus ends that dialogue, that answer to John the Baptist with a beatitude, a pronouncement of blessing. He says, blessed are those who do not take offense at me or who do not stumble over me. And we just thought, okay, what's the opposite of taking offense or being scandalized? That's the, literally the Greek word, to be scandalized by Jesus's claims, who he is, what he's saying he's going to do. Instead of being offended by him and scandalized by him, what's the opposite? We'd say, well, enjoyment. To be around someone that you're not offended by, you're actually enjoying, you want to be around them, you want to hear what they have to say. And so how can we as believers enjoy the Lord rather than be scandalized by him, be offended by him, to stumble over him? And that was a preview of the rest of that text, because in the rest of the text, we see Israel doing exactly that, stumbling over Jesus. And we saw that their expectations were not being met. And that wasn't because of God. It wasn't because of Jesus. It was because their expectations were out of whack and they needed to get them back in check. And so that was kind of a, a bird's eye view of the entire text is this idea that our enjoyment of the Lord is directly related to it. In fact, it sits atop right expectations of the Lord, something that Israel lacked and they paid for it. Well, let's talk about that idea of expectations then, because one of the things I really appreciate on Sunday is right off the bat, you kind of set the tone with a really simple premise, which is that expectations can dictate experience. You gave the example of relationships for sure, romantic relationships, family relationships, coworker relationships. If you do not have right expectations of the other person, that experience is going to go right out of whack, as Mm -hmm. you say. We need to have our expectations in the right place and make sure that our expectations match one another Mm -hmm. for that experience to be cohesive or to work well. Specifically, you talked about three different ways or types of faulty expectations that Israel had in the first century and that we in turn can struggle with as well. You talked about incomplete expectations, Mm -hmm. inaccurate expectations, and immature expectations. I wondered if we could maybe think of some examples together of how those three might show up in the life of a believer. What are these, maybe some warning signs or flags we should be looking for to indicate that our expectations might be inaccurate or immature um, or incomplete? Yeah, I want to be clear that those titles aren't necessarily biblical titles and they'll overlap exactly it's just this was a way for us to get our heads around the text we were dealing with and and i think that clearly these are missed expectations of israel and they manifest themselves in these different ways and so if we were going to flesh those out individually i think we can come up with ways in which we still struggle with these types of wrong or erroneous expectations today so the first one was this incomplete expectation whereas israel they knew john the baptist was a prophet They didn't fully understand his full importance. So it was an incomplete expectation. They kind of knew he's a prophet. Well, how does that work today? I mean, we could come up with a number of ways that we have incomplete partial expectations of the Lord and what he's doing and his work and what he's promised, but we're missing bits and pieces that ultimately make it less fantastic. So the one I thought of when you asked this question was uh, heaven. Oh, good one. If we think as Christians, yes, I'm going to be with the Lord and that excites me. And that's true. That is a right expectation. But if we think, as many Christians do, that we are going to be floating, disembodied, on clouds, with harps, in some sort of hard-to-define eternal experience, that is incomplete. Ethereal, sort of, meaningless, purposeless. Exactly. Or an eternal hymn sing, you know, where we're just standing around the throne just singing for all eternity and you get to the back of the hymnal you go to number one and you start all over again you know (laughs) which hymnal are we going to use for that and some of us will enjoy that more than others depending on who you're standing next to probably although we'll have glorified voices by them so incomplete though you think of heaven what will it be like okay i'm going to be with the lord 
praise God, I'm excited for that, but I don't have a complete picture. We go to the New Testament and we see, and in the Old Testament as well, they anticipate resurrection, mm-hmm. physical bodies on a new heavens and new earth. So 1 Corinthians 15 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality so there is going to be a physical body and then we learn from revelation 21 that there's a new heaven and new earth so we're going to be embodied with glorified bodies walking this earth eating laughing exploring learning all of those wonderful things without the burden of sin so there's an example of an incomplete expectation i'm gonna be with the lord that gives me some solace that gives me some excitement i'm thrilled about that but boy is it so much better when i have the full picture and I think that describes so many things when it comes to our understanding of Christianity as a whole. You know, there are always, as you said right at the beginning of this podcast, always going to be more for us to learn. We're never going to exhaust the Bible. And so many of us probably have incomplete expectations of all aspects of our faith. Sure. And we're constantly growing in those. I think that's part of the sanctification process is growing in our understanding, growing in our expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a great example of something where we can be losing out on so much, in this case, you know, hope of enjoyment if we don't have the full picture of what we are promised. Oh, for sure. There's so many practical implications of that incomplete expectation. I use the example oftentimes of a family holiday, where if I was to tell my kids, we're going on a family, we're going to take a road trip and we don't tell them where, we don't tell them what we're doing. We're just going to get in the car. We're going to start driving. Our kids knowing that would be semi-excited, you know, oh, there's movies in the car. We'll stop for fast food. There's some excitement there. Sure. But then if we were to say, no, we're going to Disney World. Here's pictures of Disney World. Here are the types of things that are there. Here's videos we can watch of the rides. And it gets more crystallized in their mind. That excitement just ratchets up so much so that they probably sleep in the car, ready to go. They're so excited. And it's the same with heaven for us and the eternal state. If I picture some vague road trip where I'm sure it'll be fun, I mean, my excitement, my willingness to endure for the sake of that, everything that the Lord promises that eschatology can provide for us, a view of the future can provide for us, is toned down. But if we have a crystallized picture of it, if it gets more and more clear as we learn, like you said, as we grow in sanctification, then I think our excitement, our thrill for it increases as well. Now, technically, the second topic we were talking about was inaccurate expectations with, I mean, if something is incomplete, it is inaccurate in some ways. But I think what you were getting at here was something a little more like a little more binary, yeah. either yeah. right or wrong. So maybe what what can we talk about with regards to inaccurate expectations? Yeah, like I said, these blend in together sure. for sure. But something that's completely off would be the idea that faithfulness to Christ in this life means and necessitates material, physical, relational perfection. So if I follow the Lord, he is obligated to bless me financially, with health, with good relationships. and that is side of eternity. On this side of eternity. And that is a pervasive theology. And it's so pervasive, as wrong as it is, that it sometimes sneaks its way into the way that otherwise orthodox thinkers think about God and the relationship with God. There's this almost tit-for-tat type of theology. If I do this, God is required to do this and bless me physically in this life. And it just flies in the face of so much scripture. Like 2 Timothy 2 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, there are a plethora of passages to supplement that, but that is clear as day. There will be trials and tribulations in this life. Jesus is very clear to his apostles in the upper room. You know, they hated me. They're going to hate you. Are there blessings in this life? Can the Lord bless us physically? Can he bless us relationally? You bet. But to assume that he's obligated 
because I am faithful to him is to set us up for some significant disappointment when that doesn't happen. I think that's a great example because I think it works on two different levels because, you know, we talk about blessings or rewards for obedience, talking about future rewards and the blessing that can come in knowing that we have been faithful, knowing we have been obedient, there is blessing inherently in that. But if our expectation is financial blessing or it's health blessing or it's all these different terms that like to get thrown around, then that's a inaccurate expectation. That might be something that comes. That could be something the Lord chooses to mm-hmm. give us or might happen despite our circumstances. But that is a very inaccurate expectation to expect that. In fact, the difference between a Christian worldview and a non-Christian worldview is that Christians get to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of trials and tribulations. As Romans 5 says, it actually leads us to endurance, we know, and it leads us to a sharper hope. And so, yes, we rejoice in the Lord when he sees fit to kindly bless us with health and wealth and comfort and all of those beautiful blessings that they are. But we also are able to rejoice in the trials and tribulations because he's with us and because he's using it in our lives for his glory. That is something that's not available to an erroneous worldview or when we have wrong expectations. We're robbed of that opportunity. And so then cycling further, we have this kind of like binary black or white, right or wrong expectations. When I think about immature expectations, it's Mm -hmm. more of a picture of we know what to expect, but we don't want to accept it, perhaps, or something similar to that, where in my flesh, I don't want to agree with that expectation that, you know, when God says X, I need to buy into that or I need to believe what he had said because I don't want to. I haven't grown to the point that I'm okay with accepting suffering. You know, in my head, I know it, but I don't want to accept that. Well, where where were you kind of going with this one? No, I think you're right. I really stuck close to Matthew 11 on this where Jesus says, what shall I compare this generation in Israel to? They're like kids. They're like kids calling to one another in the marketplace upset because the other kids aren't doing what they wanted them to do. Mm. And that's immaturity. That's what children do. They expect the world to entertain them, to meet all of their needs. And so they should. But eventually we grow out of that, hopefully. And he's looking at, Jesus is looking at first century Israel and saying, you're acting like children. And I think we can as well when we force our expectations onto God. You know, when we create God in our image, rather than understanding that we're made in his image, When we say, if I was God, and we don't say this outright, hopefully, but, you know, our attitude screams this. If I was God, I wouldn't act like this. I would have answered this prayer. I would have done this or that. So it's forcing upon God our own preferences, ultimately. That's just immature. And I think this one really flows into kind of the next topic I really want to discuss, which is the idea that you explained how there are situations we can all think of, I'm sure, where someone, quote unquote, leaves the faith or leaves the church. And it's almost universally because they have faulty expectations of God. And I would say most often probably immature expectations of God. Mm -hmm. It is that picture of God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to. Or, you know, God didn't do what I wanted. He didn't heal me. He didn't respond. He didn't give me health, wealth and prosperity. And so therefore, I'm not interested in serving this God. And, and, and so I walk away. Or it could be a disappointment, or a missed expectation with God's people. God's people didn't serve me the way I wanted to be served. They're, we hear this all the time, they're hypocrites. Meanwhile, you read the New Testament and there's no indication that there's perfect people in the church. Exactly. Right? And so there's a mixed expectation right there. It's a misunderstanding of what the body of Christ is and what it's for. And I'm not saying that aren't bodies of Christ out there that are acting unfaithfully and, and are bad representations, but all in all, oftentimes people leave because they've rejected something that was never promised in the first place. Yeah, well, and you went exactly where I wanted to. I remember noticing a spot in your manuscript that didn't maybe get preached on Sunday, which I think is a great spot where we can talk about that. So I left it out on purpose and now you're bringing it back up. 
Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, I think that's I, no, but I think it's I think it's a great opportunity to discuss the fact that it is possible. And I think what you're saying here is it's possible for us to have not only wrong expectations of God and what he's promised, but of his people, of his church, of what the church is meant to be when we're gathered, when we're scattered, which comes down to our ecclesiology, our understanding of the purpose of the church, mm-hmm. our expectations of the people in the church. You're right. How it, we can throw a stone and hit someone who said, I've been, quote unquote, hurt by the church. And, yeah. and I don't mean to minimize that or minimize people situation suggests that people haven't hurt you or you haven't had bad experience but blaming god for that seems to be a bit of a missed expectation again how is it god's fault that an imperfect person hurt you and so now you're going to blame god and and leave the church Mm -hmm. maybe leave that church maybe that specific local expression is not a healthy place for you anymore but to leave christianity entirely because of the actions of fallen individuals seems like a missed expectation yeah, for sure. I have hardly anything to add to that. That's right. The The truth is that God has chosen to use the church as his vehicle of redemption to the world today, period. That's the end of the discussion with all its warts and imperfections mm-hmm. and disappointments. Yes. Are there terrible expressions of the local body of Christ? Yes. Are there abusive pastors and leaders? Yes. We live in a sinful world and that is tragic. And like you said, that should not be minimized, but that does not negate the fact that God has chosen to use the church today. And as a Christian, whether you want to admit it and act like it or not, you are part of the body of Christ. You need to serve in the way that God has called you to do in a body of Christ. And that can be painful. We understand. Again, we're not trying to minimize that. But to understand that sometimes our disappointments can be traced back, I'd say often can be traced back to a misunderstanding or a misexpectation of who God is, of what his people are supposed to do, like you said before. I think it's something you and I have talked about in the past that it's become kind of in vogue to say, you know, I like the idea of Jesus, but I don't like the church. It's like, well, but just like the church. A statement like that, it just betrays the large amounts of ignorance of the person speaking. Mm -hmm. That is so such an unbiblical statement. And honestly, with statements like that, I oftentimes think this isn't always the case, but oftentimes it's just a smokescreen. They want to live like the world. They want to revel in sin. They want to lead into lean into the debauchery of the world. And their their rationale they're giving is to blame something like the church or blame something like God didn't come through in the way I wanted him to come through. Sometimes that's legitimate. Oftentimes, the more you counsel people and spend time with people, it's oftentimes a smokescreen for what they really want to do, which is just sin and, and do whatever they want to do. Sin and or what you talked about before, which is make God in their image. Mm-hmm. I want to be a quote unquote Christian, but I want to decide what Christianity looks like for me. Yeah. I want to make Jesus following about me yeah. and how I want to do it. Yeah, we should be clear. The reason we can speak with such conviction and clarity on this topic is because we feel this in our own hearts mm-hmm. all the time. Every Christian feels this immaturity, the immaturity of the flesh welling back up and we have to kill it all the time. Do I want to make God in my own image? Does my flesh want to do that? Of course it does. Do I want to export the blame of my own sin and longings to follow the flesh? Do I want to export that to something in the church that's disappointed me or something in God that hasn't met my expectations? Of course I feel that. I don't want to take blame. But at the end of the day, a maturing believer says, you know what? You know what's wrong? I'm wrong. You know, there, there's something in me that that is wrong that needs to be mortified, that needs to be killed. And God gives us the tools to do that. But again, just going back to the expectations is very, very important to, to just examine what was I expecting? And that's not to minimize the pain or to minimize the abuse or to minimize the the wrongheadedness of the church or, of course or not. never God, but we're still dealing with sinful people. 
So let's take that idea then. So we've we've established that it's important to have accurate expectations. You handed us what I like to call a bit of a measuring stick on Sunday where you said, you know, how can we tell if our expectations are accurate or not? Well, one place we can look is where is our joy in the Lord? Because if we are joyful in the Lord, despite our circumstances, it's probably because we understand what he has actually promised for us or the the correct response from God. But if we're not joyful in the Lord, it could be a good indication that we have misunderstandings or that we do not appreciate what God has said about himself or what he's going to do. You've given us that, that grid or that measuring stick to use. How do we recover? So you said, let's do it like a doctor, rate it on a scale of one to 10, how's my biblical joy? If we're on the lower end of that spectrum, or even if we're not, and we just want to grow closer to a 10, how do we increase in our understanding of correct expectations of God? Yeah, if this isn't a bump set, I'm not sure what is. It's clearly (laughs) the word of God. Like it has to be the word of God. You know, I love my sports references. I (laughs) I did play beach volleyball for a while. (laughs) So I got that reference. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. I just think I was thinking back to, well, any job you take. I remember when I was 16, I got a job for a brief amount of time as a burger flipper at a I remember sitting down, great job. I remember sitting down with the employer who was hiring me and giving me the employee handbook. And then you have to watch videos about how the company will interact with you and what your responsibilities are and those types of things. But I was given this employee handbook to take home. That had everything in there that I needed to know about my responsibilities, what to expect from a day's work, how to book my hours, everything like that. The point is I could never, in my disappointment with that job, point back at the company and say, I didn't know. You know, I, I had I didn't know that this was what it was gonna take. I expected more from you as a company. No, they they made sure that I couldn't say that. As Christians, we've been given the Bible. And God has said, He's revealed it, He's revealed Himself to us and said, Here's what I'm like. Here's how I operate. Here's what I've promised you. Here's what I'm inviting you to do. Here's what I've done for you and will continue to do for you. And on and on we go. We neglect that employee handbook, to say it crassly, at our own expense. You know, we can't say, if we don't know the word of God, if we are biblically illiterate, we can't say, God, you didn't tell me. God, I didn't know you were like this. God, I thought you would do this more. We can't say that. I think that has been taken away from us. To take your illustration even a bit further, I think in those situations, you're handed an employee handbook. You're also shown a video and probably given some form of training manager, someone who's teaching you as well. But you're expected to interact with all three of those things. You cannot say, I'm ignorant to this because this trainer did not tell me so. Well, it's in the manual as well. They are just here to assist or help you understand or make sure you've, you've gotten all that. And this is why discipleship is so important. Someone comes to faith in Christ, they get saved, it's thrilling, they get baptized, there's a celebration, they come into a body of Christ. And then we just throw the Bible at them and expect them to know the whole thing. And say, good luck. Here we go. No, of course <laughs> not. We, we come around them and we disciple them because they're still, at that point, likely dealing with a whole lot of worldly expectations of God. And they need to be trained out of that. They need to be trained out of that and toward a biblical view. Again, when we don't have that discipleship, that community around our new believers, and this is one of the tragedies of this time that we have been scattered as a church, is before lockdowns, we had people coming to the Lord and that were being baptized, and now they're apart from us. Mm-hmm. And they are now probably out there with worldly expectations or unbiblical expectations. You know, We're entrusting them to the Holy Spirit, and we're praying for them, but they're missing that component of the body of Christ, discipling them and helping them along. That's dangerous. That's a lamb away from the fold that is very vulnerable to the wolves of this world. And a lot of those wolves, they thrive in erroneous expectation. And so, yeah, we have the word of God open, the spirit of God who wrote the word ministering in us. And we have the body of Christ who is 
knit together by the Spirit of God, helping us conform our expectations constantly to what God has told us to expect. And this is a lifelong process. It never ends. We're always trying to conform and reform our expectations to what God has told them about himself. So you just hinted on it there and hinted at it. And I just want to maybe explore it a tiny bit further, which is the idea of that person who maybe knows in their head what to expect of God. They understand, they've read the words, they get the promises, but are still struggling maybe with that that immaturity or that that perspective of accepting those expectations. You know, I know that God wants me to live this way. I really just don't want to. Mm -hmm. I know God is calling me to do this or God has promised this, but I just can't believe that. That's not helping me in the day to day. How do we make this really practical in terms of, as you said, inviting the spirit to to grow in us proper expectations? Or what does that look like to move from a place of head knowledge to heart knowledge, to use a, a bit of a cliche term when it comes to our expectations? Yeah, let's go to Psalm 13. Psalm 13 gives an example. This is a Psalm of David, pretty godly guy. You know, David, he is a man after God's own heart. He really wasn't uh, what we wouldn't call an immature believer. But as we've said oftentimes on the podcast and we've noticed uh, through Bible study, the Psalms are full of times when the psalmist calls out in frustration to God. And Psalm 13 is one such example. But I want to go there because at the end, he circles back around to trust in the Lord and gives some very practical ways he does that. So this is what Psalm 13 says. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? It sounds like he's a little disappointed. Sounds like some expectations have not been met, right? And he's crying out to God in frustration. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, where I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. Again, he is downtrodden, Mm -hmm. clearly. Now, it's this last stanza, these last two verses where he circles back to the Lord. And this is where we can, I think, find some, some help in what you've asked. But, so all that's true, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So I think there's a few things we can take from that and think about. So we've, we've been rebuked. The Spirit has rebuked me. He's shown me graciously and kindly that my expectations were askew. But if I'm honest, I, I'm still struggling with the, the present reality of my disappointment. Well, let's take a cue from David here. He walks in faithful obedience. He says, I have trusted in your loving kindness. I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to walk forward in obedience, even if I don't feel like you are keeping up your end of the bargain in my sinfulness. I'm going to continue, he says. He reminds himself of the gospel of his salvation. For us, if I'm disappointed with expectations not being met, one expectation that should always supersede everything we've ever expected or been owed is our salvation. Go back to Ephesians 2, you know, 1 to 10. What I was before Christ, what I am now in Christ, that is a done deal. Go back to your salvation. That's something that will never disappoint. And use that as your starting point. I have been rescued from my very much owed eternal separation from God. I've been rescued for eternity and I'm secure. So he says here, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And then he says, I will sing to the Lord. So worship, you know, worship, go with God's people, even when you don't feel like it. Sometimes we say, I don't feel like going to worship. You know, I'm not in a place spiritually where I can go and worship. No, no, no. Go and worship and the feelings will follow. Go and declare to God he's worthy of praise and adoration because he is, not because I feel like he is. That's just crucial. So he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Review. Again, certainly salvation, Ephesians 2, what he's provided for you. But review the, the blessings in your life. Do you have air in your lungs? 
Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have food in your belly? Has the Lord not provided for us? So yes, I'm disappointed with the Lord in my sin. And, and I'm looking around and saying, this has not turned out the way I expected. And I've been confronted with that, but I still don't like it. Well, return to these things. Commit yourself to walking in faithful obedience. Remind yourself of the gospel. Worship God in light of what he's done for you. I think those are some very clear steps we can take that lead us toward or out of that disappointment and that frustration. Yeah. I think that's incredible. I don't I don't even know what else to say to that. That's a perfect, clear, scriptural implication that we can look at and say, here's a great example of a person who knew God, knew God's expect knew what to expect of God well, still struggled with it, and yet had a process for overcoming that. It's almost that that affirmation of to self of like, I might not believe this right now, but I'm going to repeat it until I do. I'm going to live as though I do. I'm going to force myself because at the end of the day, David knew mm-hmm. he was not God. Yeah. And I think more, more often than not, if there is an issue where we just don't want to accept something that God has said, it, it does come down to that, that piece of, I want to be God. Mm-hmm. What would I do if I were God? This is not how I would do it. Yeah, I mentioned before, I, when I was in school, I had a, a godly mentor that the Lord provided for me that he would often encourage me to have planned biblical responses to the areas of my life where I know the enemy likes to attack me. And every word of that is important. It's planned because when you're in the midst of temptation, it's too late. You need to have a plan ahead of time. Where am I going to go? And it has to be biblical because that's where our life is. That's where truth is. That's where the power is. For him, he struggled with worry anxiety. That was his constant struggle in life. And so he had a planned biblical response that when he felt it creeping in, he immediately knew where to turn in scripture to review and ask the spirit to call him back to himself. I mean, if you struggle with discouragement and blaming God and missed expectations, maybe bookmark Psalm 13 and just say, I'm going to go back to Psalm 13 verses five and six when I feel those things. I'm going to be reminded first that I'm not alone. Even David was discouraged with the Lord. And I'm going to remind myself, here's some practical steps I need to do. Bookmark it. Plan biblical response if you struggle with this. What a great, a great suggestion, Josiah. Thank you so much for taking this, this passage of scripture, making it so practical for us, reminding us of where this creeps into our life most often and, and helping us set up that defense so that we can have a planned biblical response when this becomes a temptation for us. Listener, thank you for being with us. As always, I hope you uh, enjoyed or intrigued by our conversation at the very least. I hope you feel encouraged and and ready to put this into application in your life. Uh, Until next time, go and be blessed. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information. 